Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers and my sisters in Christ. Imagine that somebody came to the U.S. from a country where there is no money. How long would it take them to figure out that we are all about money in the U.S.? Probably a couple minutes. So they come and they're trying to understand our culture. They're trying to discover what we're all about in America. They decide that they need to figure out what this money thing is. Let's say they pick up a newspaper and they read the first couple headlines. It goes something about a mugging, someone attacking someone else to get their money. They read about corporate embezzlement. They read about someone who just got caught evading their taxes. They read about financial crises. They read about the recession. They read about gas prices, student loan debt, all these things. What would they conclude about money just based on those headlines. But then they keep reading, and they hear about what a billionaire did, donated millions and millions of dollars to start orphanages around the world. They read about a young lady from the inner city who by scholarships was able to go on to college and then to law school, and now she's in her own law firm helping people, and money made it all happen. Now, they're confused. And so they ask you, they come up to you on the street and they say, stranger, I've been reading about this money stuff and tell me, please explain, is money bad or good? How would you even begin to explain it to them? Because we have such a complicated relationship with money, don't we? At the same time, money is intensely personal to the point where we don't even talk to certain people about how much we make. We don't open up our budget spreadsheet for everyone to see. At the same time, it is extremely public. There are people asking for you to give them their money. There's advertisements asking you to purchase stuff. You have to report your taxes. So it stands to reason that Christians would want to think about how money factors into their relationship with God. So how does it? In your relationship with God, is money a bad thing or a good thing? Think about that as I reread the first few verses of our lesson from 1 Timothy, where Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy this letter to tell him what he should do and preach in his congregation. He says to Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. <clears throat> for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Contentment. Who would disagree that contentment is a good thing? We all could stand to be a little bit more content, couldn't we? But what does contentment even mean? I think a lot of us are working with a definition of contentment that means something like, you don't care, right? You could be rich, you could be poor. You could have it all or you could have nothing. And contentment means you don't really care. You could take money or leave it. You could take possessions or leave it. Is that what contentment is? If it is, then it is impossible. 
none of us has been content a second in our lives, if that's what contentment means. If contentment means not caring about money or not caring about possessions, then Paul is setting a standard of behavior and attitude that none of us has ever come close to meeting and never will. You know why? Because there is no country where money doesn't exist. That's why my opening example is ridiculous. Well, let me explain what I mean. There are those people groups in the world that live in isolated communities, maybe, on an island, on a desert, or in a jungle, where they don't have paper money, they don't have credit cards. But wherever you go, wherever there are human beings, there is what the thing that gives money its power, and that is desire. It's not really about money, is it? It's about what we want and the promise that money holds out to get us there. If I held a stack of hundreds in my hand, as thick as this Bible, and held it like this, who of us, myself included, would be able to resist thinking about what we could do with that kind of money? You're maybe even thinking about it right now. Our brains would go right to the credit card debt we could pay off, the student loan, the mortgage, the vacation that we could take, the savings account that we could build back up after that big hit last month, right? It's not about the cash itself. It's about what we can do with it. And that's why money can be a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on what you want to do with it. It depends on what you want it for. This is why money can be the thing that gets that young lady from the inner city through law school and into her own law firm. And at the same time, it's the reason that that young man brought a gun into Whataburger at 2 a.m. Money is the common denominator. But desire is what gives money its power. And what does money promise? What desires does money promise to be able to fulfill? What do we as human beings want more than anything? We want power, the ability to make our own decisions, to live the life we want to live, and money promises to be able to do that. We want peace, stability, the knowledge that life can bring whatever it wants to bring and that we will be okay and money says, yeah, I can do that for you. Or pleasure, we want that vacation, we want that Xbox, we want that experience so that we can have a little diversion in our lives. So you see, it's not, it never was really about the money. It's about what we think money can do for us. And so it's not really about the vacation, is it? It's about finding some sense of peace after this most terrible, hard year at your work. It's about somehow getting back from all that burnout and that stress that you've been going through. And this vacation holds out the promise that it will do that for you. It's not really about the numbers on the savings account. It's about feeling like you can handle yourself, feeling like you can handle whatever life throws at you. It's not even about the Xbox. It's about having a way to divert your attention, to escape, to have something else to do that gets your mind off of all those stressful relationships, all those guilty feelings that you have, all that stuff that's happening out there, even for just a couple minutes. It's desire, it's not money. And desire is universal. Desire teaches us to focus on what we don't have 
what we are missing. And if someone asks you what you're missing in your life and you said money, that answer is incomplete. It's what you want to do with more money that is the real answer. So contentment is simply the opposite of desire, isn't it? You may know that in some religions, desire is the enemy. In some religions, they teach you to just push desire out. That, that's, that is the moment that you get rid of any desire, any want, is the moment that you are truly happy, that you are truly joyous, that you have achieved nirvana. And that's not the answer that we're suggesting this morning. Instead of just taking the desires, the holes in our heart that we have for power, for peace, or for pleasure, and just pushing them away, just ignoring them, just rejecting them, listen to them. What are you really yearning for that you think money is going to be able to do for you? And realize that you are a shark at an aquarium. Because how do you keep a shark at an aquarium from eating all the other fish? You keep it very well fed. So there you are at the aquarium behind the viewing wall, and you see all these beautiful little fish. And there it is, their natural predator in the same habitat as they are, swimming around with them. How does the shark not eat them? Well, behind the shark's skin under, in its body is a full stomach. You couldn't tempt that shark with those fish even if you wanted to. It's good. It doesn't need to eat anymore. The secret to contentment, brothers and sisters, is realizing you are already full. Those things, those holes in your heart, those things that you've been yearning after that you've inappropriately thought that money could do for you have already been done for you in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul commands, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Since money can't do it for you, and you knew that already, you knew that taking that vacation wasn't going to be the missing piece in your life because you took it and you came back, and what happened? The stress was still there, right? You knew that that Xbox wasn't going to save your life, wasn't going to make you the person that you finally need to be because you made that purchase, you got what you want, and nothing changed, and your brain went right to the next thing that you want, right? And you know that the, that number you were looking for on your savings account or your retirement fund was not the missing piece in your heart because when you got there, you didn't feel good. So money holds out this promise of solving our problems, but it never delivers. And you already know that you can't take it with you. That when you die, you're not buried with your money and your stuff. You can hardly take your money from one month into the next, let alone from this life into the next. So rather than holding out for money to deliver for you what it can't, put your hope in God who has already delivered for you, long before you even asked for it. Because each of us, regardless of our financial situation, regardless of how much cash you have, entered this world spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt, 
with not a spiritual dollar to our name, not able to purchase righteousness or get into a right relationship with God on our own at all. It was pointless to even try. But just like for a poor person who is living in abject poverty or even homeless, the most beautiful word in the world can be free, even more so, God's salvation, God's forgiveness, God's grace, is absolutely free. It is given to you as a gift in Jesus Christ. Nothing you have to do to earn it. Nothing you have to do to deserve it. Nothing you have to do to purchase it. It's already yours. It is provided for you. You are a shark in an aquarium. There's no need to look for anything else to satisfy what your heart most deeply desires because in Christ, it's already there and it's yours now. Take it. There is no greater peace than knowing that no matter what tomorrow does bring, even if your finances fall completely through the floor, that Jesus' love and salvation will be there for you. That no matter what you are anxious about that you thought that money could protect you from, the God who can protect you holds you in his loving hands. There is no greater power, no greater comfort than knowing that no matter what you, there's no escape that we need. We don't need to escape the guilt that we feel or the stress that we feel because the, past per, the, the person that we were in the past who made all those mistakes, who committed all those sins, that person is gone, buried with Jesus when he was buried. Your past sins completely forgiven. There's no need to escape because they're gone and buried and forgiven for you. There is no need to seek power and decision-making in anywhere else, especially not in money, because you already are on the top tier of life. You are a child of God. It doesn't get any better for you than that. And nothing is going to take that away from you, not even your own death. God has given you something you can take with you when you leave this world, because his salvation is waiting for you. Heaven is waiting for you, where you will be rich beyond your wildest dreams for all eternity because you will be in the presence and the joy of Christ. So now what? Is our job just to be sharks in an aquarium, swimming around our little habitat, enjoying the fact that our tummies are full? Are we called into a life of being spiritual trust fund babies, as if God has given us every rich that we, every good blessing that we possibly need, and our job is to just enjoy it? Well, God does want you to enjoy his blessings that he's given you. God does want you to rest secure in your baptismal identity. He does want you to greet the day with the joy of knowing that God's love goes with you. He does want you to enjoy it. And even beyond his forgiveness, beyond his salvation, and beyond the promise of heaven, God has given you everything else. More than your daily bread. More than just food and clothing. Look at all the wonderful things God has given you. Things you don't need, but are blessings from God's good hand. God wants you to take that vacation. God wants you to, get that, to buy that purchase God wants you to save up your retirement fund, but not because that's the thing that's going to save your soul, but because that is a sign of his goodness and his blessing to you. 
See, the blessings in our lives are reminders of God's love. We don't worship money as if that were God, but we recognize the God who's blessing us with these things. But that's not the whole story, is it? Paul says to Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may, be, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Money is intensely personal. So that to the point that if anyone tells us what we should do with our money, we don't like it, do we? And the church has a historic terrible reputation with telling people what to do with their money, right? No one wants to hear a pastor get up and tell them what to do with their money. And so I've heard a lot of people say, the, say this phrase, and when they say that they, they mean 100% well, but they say, what I do with my money, that's between me and God. Is that true? Does Paul agree? I don't think he does. Because remember, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to tell him how to be a pastor to a congregation. He says to Timothy, command those who are rich, and that's all of us in this room, by the way, get in their faces, get involved with their budget-making decisions. Tell them how to spend their money. And for us, for whom money is such a private thing, that can seem inappropriate and uncomfortable, but realize what Paul is saying. He says to Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, for your congregation, get them to realize what their money is for, that God has blessed them with these wonderful earthly blessings for their enjoyment, but also to serve a heavenly purpose. God blesses us with earthly riches to serve heavenly purposes. And that doesn't have to look flashy. That doesn't mean always giving a $3 million offering to church. Although if you would like to, the box is right there on your way out. <laughs> that can be as simple as giving what you can, as the Bible says, in proportion to your income with a cheerful heart so that we can keep the lights on so that we can keep the AC running so that we're not all dying in here so that we can keep doing this, worshiping God and serving our community. That's an earthly thing serving a heavenly purpose. Doesn't have to look flashy. It can be as simple as you inviting a friend to church and saying you're going to take them out to lunch after. And over that meal, you just ask them what they thought of the service. It's as simple as that. Building a relationship and using money to do it, a relationship based on the gospel. We are given these earthly blessings, and we know how the story ends. We know we can't take it with us. We know that this life ends and that one day we will enter heaven, and it's not going to matter how much we had saved up. It's not going to matter how much stuff we have. Someone who dies, he who dies with the most toys wins. We already know that that's not true. But we know what does last. The gospel. 
in our hearts and in other people's hearts. We have the inside scoop. So we Christians are able to get ahead. We're able to leverage our earthly blessings so that the gospel can be preached, so that more people can know that their sins are forgiven, that more people with that hole in their heart that only Jesus can really fill can come to him and see how good the Lord truly is. Amen.